Prince Remembered from The Current. Hey, it's Andrea Swenson. While making Prince the story of 1999, I got a chance to speak to a music icon, Niall Rogers, the songwriter, the producer, the founding member of the funk R&B pop group Chic. He has won Grammys for his collaborations with artists like Daft Punk and Madonna and David Bowie. He produced the David Bowie single Let's Dance, which is mentioned in this interview. And while we included a little bit of Niall's memories in the actual podcast, Prince, the story of 1999. I really wanted to share our full conversation because we talk not just about the 1999 album, but his really special relationship with Prince. So here it is, my full conversation with Niall Rogers. So um, as I'm sure you've uh, been apprised, we're doing a podcast about Prince's 1999, and I am so excited to talk to you about it because I know that you had a musical connection with him, a friendship with him, and I would love to take you back to that era and get some of your thoughts about, you know, this album coming out and what it meant to you. So I, I guess to start, can you remember the moment that you heard 1999 for the first time, either the album or, or any of the singles? I can't remember the moment. <laughs> Um, there was actually just far too much going on in my life. Um, but of course I remember 1999 and God knows, uh, you know, my friendship with Prince, of course, I mean, it was just, it was pretty, pretty legendary and wonderful. Um, and I remember when I first heard Little Red Corvette, which I thought was something incredibly clever from a production standpoint uh, from Prince, even though he had already done a lot of stuff that was clever. But that just sort of had taken a, a different turn. And it was cool. What do you mean by that? Describe what you're, what you're hearing in that song. So if I remember correctly, and, and I hope I'm remembering correctly, I'm thinking that Little Red Corvette didn't have a bass line. Am I wrong? You might right be you you might be thinking about when doves cry, which does not have a baseline. Oh, right, that's right. Oh yeah. Oops, sorry. I knew it was one of those. <laughs> that's okay. Well, one thing that's so interesting to me about that song is that the recording quality is actually not great. Um, there's distortion in it. It sounds like he recorded it in his home, which he did. Um, <laughs> and I think it's so fascinating. You know, it had such a lasting imprint on culture, but he was recording things so fast that it wasn't always technically, you know, perfect. Well, that was what was cool about him is, is because um, he was the perfect example of proving that if it's in the grooves, it's fine. I remember um, our very first single, uh, was was down a generation because our master was at another label that wouldn't release it to us, mm. and uh, and still went on to become a really huge record and start off our careers, right? With a bang. So um, sometimes sonic quality doesn't have to be perfect, especially in those days. We were on the edge of things moving from one era and you know multiple formats coming out and cds and you know we were going into the digital era all sorts of stuff was happening so people's ears were open to different stuff and and prince made such a such an impression on the world that um it was just 
it was one of those magical forces that was undeniable. I could think of so many of my great friends who were like big superstars that just the mention of Prince would like <laughs> sort of like drive them into a frenzy because he was so damn good. <laughs> I get the sense he's definitely a musician's musician, very well respected among other really talented musicians. Absolutely. And the thing that was really great is that he and I have never had any of those wacky problems that you hear about other people. Um, uh, our level of respect for each other was so enormously high because if I'm not mistaken, I believe I'm the only person he's ever interviewed. Uh, which he did for Essence magazine. That's right. Yeah. So um, that that means that he was just as curious about me as I was of him. Yeah, absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit about meeting Prince and getting to know him as a person. So our relationship was incredibly unique, um, maybe different than most people's relationship with Prince because um, – I've actually hired him as a promoter, and actually I gave him a million bucks, too. <laughs> so I hired him as a promoter when I was doing um, a series of concerts out in uh, Long Island. Um, and, uh, and, and we just had so many interesting nights together, because when he found out I was building a resort in Turks and Caicos, he immediately bought a house in Turks and Caicos uh -huh. and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and for some reason, for some strange, unexplainable reason, decided he have to, he had to have a house in Turks and Caicos too, just because he heard I was building a place there. <laughs> and I understand why he didn't just move into our place because it was a resort, but, uh, he wound up building his own house there. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, um, what year would it have been when you first crossed paths? Oh, Jesus, come on, you're asking me that. <laughs> um, you, you know, my career is such that to actually know the years of stuff is really difficult. Um, but I would say he and I probably first met around 1982 or 83, okay. probably around the time when I did uh, Let's Dance. Okay. So he, he was a fan, I'm sure, of Chic and all that because we wound up being with the same uh, company. And, and Prince's concerts at the company were legendary as, as ours were. I mean, you know, we, we've played for the Warners parties quite a few times. And, um, you know, so we had that in common. But when he and I became real friends, like close buddy kind of friends would have probably been after I did uh, Bowie's Let's Dance. Okay. Well, that's actually kind of perfect because we're looking back at this kind of 82 era in this podcast. And, you know, something that I am just so fascinated by is that Prince was able, as you said before, to tear down all of these walls in the music industry and, and you know, blend sounds in a way that maybe wasn't as, um, accepted before and uh, particularly, you know, broke through racial barriers in the industry and was able to insist on, you know, not being marketed only as a black artist, but that he wanted to be a mainstream pop artist. So I, I'm curious, you know, looking back on that album coming out and him becoming kind of a mainstream star for the first time, like, what do you think his impact on the music industry was? 
it was massive. Probably <clears throat> around that time, maybe only um, second to Michael Jackson. And it, if you remember at that time, the, the, the four big male rivalries were um, Michael Jackson, Prince, um, Rick James, and um, was MC Hammer, because MC Hammer wasn't actually um, so much uh, jealous of Prince. He was sort of more jealous of Michael Jackson in a strange way. Mm. It was weird because, like I said, I was friends with all of them. Uh, and, um, and it was weird to be a sort of mediator in these wacky conversations where a person is talking to me about someone that I have total respect for. <laughs> and uh, and they're sort of, you know, venting. Or, you know, why does everybody like him so much? <laughs> right. Well, he's Prince and he's unique and amazing. Just like you are, you know, like you're unique and amazing. But, you know, I, I've never had real rivalries with other artists. I've never felt um, like I was competing. I certainly never felt like I was competing with Prince or Michael Jackson or anybody like that. Because one, you know, I'm more of a, a behind the scenes type of person. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to fight with the concept of stardom or anything like that. And it was never the way that I viewed myself. So maybe that's why I got along with everybody so well, because I wasn't threatening to them. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I'm just trying to figure it out because I really got along with everybody really well. I mean, and my, my conversations and my closeness with Prince was completely unique. I, I remember being in rooms with Prince where I'm in the same room, he and I are sitting at a table, and a person who was close to him, like Morris Day, um, at that time wouldn't even sit down with us because it was, you know, sort of not the thing to, for him to do. Uh, but I would sit down and we just have a normal conversation, like just two guys who have been friends all their lives. Yeah. Would Prince ask you for advice? Um, no. You know what he would do, though? He would always tell me um, about his his plans. Um, and I know these kind of things sound funny. Um, and I don't mean to say things that are um, disparaging or any weird stuff. But these every time I tell a story about someone, it's 100% honest. I remember one day he and I were sat at a, a, a table uh, at a club called the Palladium. And this was probably um, just a little bit after 1999, frankly, just around the time I was doing Bowie and stuff like that. And, and he was really interested in the fact that I was able to do Bowie and, you know, and Duran Duran. I was, you know, and right from uh, I went right from you know, my R&B career, if you will, to a rock career that was really fascinating to him. Anyway, we were we were talking one day and he told me that uh, he was going to move his entire operation to Sweden. And I thought, this is the strangest conversation I've ever heard. <laughs> Just like he blurted it out to me. And I said, well, OK, why? And he says, well, all the girls are beautiful. They drive Porsches and Mercedes and they can dance. 
And that was like his answer. And he sounded totally like he wasn't trying to pull my leg or anything like that. He was being straight ahead. And I was like, well, you know, that I guess is good a reason as any to move your entire operation to Sweden. But go ahead, knock yourself out. <laughs> and instead, he, he chose Chanhas in Minnesota. <laughs> right. Well, he was already there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he uh, certainly didn't move to Sweden. Wow. But he, he did move to Turks and Caicos, where I was. Right. <laughs> now, did you get a chance to visit him at Paisley Park? Uh, no, I never did. Oh, I, I've never wow. I've never been to Paisley Park. Oh, wow. We had seen each other a lot in Turks and Caicos. Okay. So, <laughs> even though I had never been to his place, um, he had been to my place quite a few times. And, um, and one concert that we played on New Year's Eve... Um, he uh, had said that he was going to come out and play Let's Dance with us. And it was really, like, fantastic. It was exciting for my band, exciting for all of the residents at the uh, hotel at the time, at the resort at the time. And um, I'll never forget this. So we set up his gear. He's all excited. We do sound check. Everything is great. And so in the middle of our set, it was going to be a surprise for everybody. So no one saw Prince soundcheck with us or anything. And matter, matter of fact, and John Bon Jovi was there. Um, so no one saw Prince soundcheck with us. It was going to be a complete surprise. So we're doing our show. We get to the middle of the set. And uh, and now we're going to do David Bowie's Let's Dance. And I said uh, to the audience, ladies and gentlemen, I have a real surprise for you. Um, I, didn't, I didn't call him the artist known as Prince. I just said, my dear friend, Prince. And instead of him coming on stage with us, he ran away. (gasps) (laughs) And I stood there for 20 minutes saying, my dear friend Prince, my dear friend Prince. And he wouldn't come on stage. And then another year later, we're uh, in New Orleans and he invites me to do the Essence Festival with him. And uh, and he says, "Okay, man, when you guys play um, uh, Let's Dance, I want to come out and play with you. So... Of course, now I'm not going to make the stupid, same stupid mistake in front of 70,000 people. So we get to Let's Dance, and you can actually see this on the internet. It's still up on YouTube. And I don't even say anything. And we're playing Let's Dance, uh, which is funny how you asked me, when did he and I meet? And I said, you know, around that time yeah. when, I, when, he did let, when I did Let's Dance. And it was probably just after he had released 1999. Um, or certainly while it was, you know, getting big and becoming, um, you know, part of the zeitgeist. Um, uh, so now I'm playing Let's Dance, don't say a word, and the people going crazy anyway. But then all of a sudden, the decibel level of the crowd goes up a thousand percent. And I look to my left and there's Prince standing there next to me, jumping up and down in the air playing Let's Dance With Us. And it is just the most incredible thing ever. And my band didn't know what to do at that point because we were almost finished with the song. And I just said to them, let's just keep going. And like I said, it's on YouTube. You can see it. It's great. And in those days, if you, since you're doing this podcast, you know that Prince pulled everything off the internet. Oh, yes. Right? He would never, he wouldn't even let jumbotrons, you know, shoot him at concerts. If you'd have to pay attention to this little small dot if he had a hundred thousand people there. Uh, but instead of him pulling this off after we put it up, 
he actually retweeted it and put his hands up in the air and went, no words. Mm. Wow. It, it, was, it was an amazing night in my life. The wow. fact, I think that not only did he not pull it down, he actually retweeted it. Yeah. That must have meant so much to him. It meant a lot to me, too. Oh. It, it was So it shows you the nature of our unique type of friendship um it was probably based on the fact that we would discuss music um and philosophy on a sort of very high plane if you will um because he was a very spiritual person and i was a very scientific person so we were sort of somewhat um i wouldn't say at odds but everything was always interesting to us like our my point of view was interesting to him and his point of view was super interesting to himself. And he, couldn't <laughs> wait to, he couldn't wait to tell it to me. So. <laughs> and, and we, we had amazing conversations. We would talk for hours and hours and hours. Cause obviously you can see, I like to ramble on too. <laughs> I love it. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I, you know, I got a chance to meet Prince once and we, we talked for a long time and I was just, I was really impressed by, you know, how, willing he was to go down any path I wanted to go down and talk about history and talk about culture. And he's just so smart and so plugged in. You, you got it right on the money. He was great like that. I mean, you could really, you could talk about anything. And if it was something, if it, were, if it was a subject that he wasn't well versed in, or if it was just something that he didn't know about, he was fascinated to learn something new. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember talking to him about Spotify before he really understood quite what that was. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he was so curious about, so how do you use it? And and then do you buy the music? And it was, so, it was so cool that he was so curious about everything. Yeah, he was naturally curious and um, amazingly talented. I know you said we were talking about 1999 specifically yeah. uh, as an album. But um, I actually love the fact that we're talking uh, much more about him as a person to me, because uh, as much as I loved his music, um, you can, I mean, just think of the special moments that he's given me in my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, not only did he come out on stage with us at the Essence Festival, not only am I the only person that I believe he's ever interviewed for a magazine. But when we released our last Chic album um, on Warner Brothers, that was a total flop. The only promotion we got was Prince doing um, the song, you sexy mother. uh -uh." And if you look at that video, check that video out. He's holding our Chic CD um, and they're dancing with it in the garage in front of a yellow lotus and our our cd cover was yellow oh i'm gonna go watch that right after this check it out <laughs> that's hey, amazing you see them dancing right there next to the yellow lotus and the color of our cd package matches the color of the lotus and i've always said the biggest promotion we ever got was prince dancing with our with our cd Oh, that's so special. That's so cool. Well, before I let you go, can I just kick you one more question about, you know, 1999 as we're looking back and you know, just it's a big general question, but however you want to answer it, you know, what is the legacy of that album? You know, what did it do for for music history? 
Um, it was, I mean, it's one of those records that's sort of like, you know, the Beatles White Album, um, Michael Jackson Thriller. It's one of those kind of records um, where, you know, there's the world before 1999 and then there's the world after 1999. At least that's the way I see it. Because he, I mean, he became such a superstar after that. It was almost, um, it was almost something you couldn't believe. It was almost meteoric, his rise. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the complete four-part series, Prince, The Story of 1999, wherever you get your podcasts.